my my family was growing. We had three kids in three years. And then, you know, of course, I had the wise idea of getting back into running and I didn't do 5Ks. I had to go do marathons and, you know, triathlons. So I couldn't go, uh, you know, just the simple route. Um, and I, and in, during that time frame, I was basically not getting sleep, you know, four or five hours of broken sleep for nearly a decade. Uh, and it showed up. Hello and welcome to the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. We bring you interviews from people who have conquered the trickiest of health challenges using the Functional Diagnostic Nutrition philosophy and similar healing modalities. You're going to hear from experts who have been through the ringer with their health issues and yet managed to come out on the other side. If you're interested in natural healing and or functional medicine, congrats, you are in the right place. You can always visit us at functionaldiagnosticnutrition.com, but for now, here is today's episode. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. My name is Evan Transu, a.k.a. Detective Ev, and I will be your host for today's show. If you do not know me, never heard of me before, clicking on the podcast for the first time, whatever it might be, I'm no one special in particular. I work at FDN, I have my own FDN business, and I do some public speaking for mostly students, but I've evolved into adults as well. I, I love speaking to students, though. I'll do that as long as they think I'm young enough to be able to do that. <laughs> I had seven different diagnosed health conditions at the age of 18, basically from five to 18, I got sicker and sicker. And I finally came to a conclusion that I needed to take my health into my own hands, not because I knew what the hell I was doing, but because I knew Western medicine through really no fault of their own was not able to serve me in the way that I needed to be served. Well, fast forward all these years later, and thank God I found the FDN program and now they can't get rid of me. FDN helped me get to a place where I no longer meet the diagnostic criteria for any of the seven health conditions that I mentioned before. It also possibly saved my mom's life with what she was dealing with. That's why I'm here, that's who I am, and I absolutely love what we do. With that said, today we're going to be interviewing a gentleman named Scott Shortmeyer. I got to meet him what I believe was June of last year in Boston at a biohacking conference that we were uh, having FDN at, and then Kimberly Boehm, someone who's been on the podcast before, she was speaking there representing FDN. Absolutely fantastic conference. Very small, uh, but it was cool. You actually got to talk to people, so it was a lot more intimate than most conferences where it's kind of a five-minute conversation and you're done. Uh, you were really getting to talk to people for sometimes hours. It was it was kind of cool. And speaking of conferences, this is my shout outs before we get rolling today. We have a really busy October in the world of FDN. And if you're looking for something to do or you happen to be local to the areas I'm going to mention, I wanted to let you know that we will be attending these conferences. You can come and say hi, hang out with us. We'd love to see you. So in October, the first thing that's going on is this one's a little more niche. It might not be for all of you guys, but it is a chiropractors conference. Reed Davis, founder of FDN, will be lecturing there. I will be there helping out and President Dan Riordan will also be there helping out. That's going to be October 5th, which is Thursday, uh, starting Thursday, then the 6th, and then the 7th. So I believe that's a three-day one. I'll have the links to all of these things in the show notes, so don't quote me on any of this while I'm speaking live in the moment. <laughs> all right, after that, we have a uh, kind of double booked weekend, so it's really choose which one you'd rather go to. And this is going to be a tough one. You get to choose between Miami, Florida, and Kansas City, Missouri. Miami, Florida, Kansas City, Missouri. I know, it is tricky. I will be at the Kansas City, Missouri one, again with uh, president of FDN, Dan Riordan, and our social media and podcast manager, Joe Pate, as well as some other wonderful FDN trainees and graduates. They'll be volunteering, helping out. That's going to be going on that weekend again of the 20th through the 22nd. At the same time, oh, and that's the uh, Wise Traditions Conference, by the way. That's Weston A. Price Foundation. At the same time, we will have the Biohacking Congress going on in Miami, and Elizabeth Gaines, lead course mentor, and Reed Davis, again, founder of FDN, will be lecturing there and then hanging out all weekend. I am jealous, but I got to also say I've been to the last two October Biohacking Congresses. It sounds funny, but I'm just, I'm a little burnt out with Miami. There's so many things that have happened there conference-wise, and I just don't fit in, man. I go to bed at like 9, 30, 10. I don't drink alcohol. I suck. I right, I don't want anything to do with this place. I, I'm engaged. I'm a one-woman man. Like, it's just, 
and not to mention, I don't think I'm competing with many of the people down there anyway. So, you know, I say one woman man as if it's some noble thing, but it's one woman man, both by choice and by force, I believe. Um, <laughs> with that all said, we have these conferences going on. I'll have the links for you guys below. You can check that all out. Um, today, we are talking to Scott Shortmeyer. I'm not going to read his bio because we did it live. And so I read the bio live and this is a recording from that. If you guys want to catch our podcast live, make sure you're subscribed to us on YouTube. Uh, check out our Facebook page and then we will be doing them on LinkedIn soon. Everything that we do live will always be put on this podcast approximately one to two weeks later. But if you want to engage with us, say hello or ask questions, then of course, going live is the way to do it. Without further ado, let's get to today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another live episode of the Health Detective Podcast. I think we are on it's always tough because I got to account for the fact that we're going to submit this and the episode number will, number will be a bit later, but I think this might be about 272. Either wow. way, we're in the 270s now, which is crazy. Uh, we're very lucky that, see, I just get to do this part and then we have a wonderful team as, as Scott just got to meet with, uh, today. So that's how we're able to do all these episodes, but it's great to be able to talk to you today, Scott. I have with me. His last name is Shortmeyer, by the way. Um, I do have your bio. I've been reading those. I usually kind of record these things first and then do that afterwards. But when we're doing the live part, I think it's important uh, that I read the bio live in case anyone tunes in with us today. Sure. So Scott is a husband of 20 years, father of three girls. He's a 20 plus year sales leader, podcast host of the Rest and Recovery podcast, longtime endurance athlete, coach, and turned FDNP with the goal to enable clients to thrive and live this one life well. Other than the father part, sounds like we got a lot in common here. So I'm thinking this is going to be a good podcast. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for coming on with us today. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to uh, to chat with you and, and tell a little bit of my story and, and you know, the value of FDN that I've found as well. Well, and that's what we'll start with first. I'd love to hear your story, um, specifically when the symptoms began, because most people do not get into this space without having a personal story. Uh, most men definitely do not get into this space without having a personal story. And most sales type men do not get into this space, that's for sure. So we have a few variables against us, and yet here we yeah. are. So I'd love to hear about what was going on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I did notice that in FDN, there, there's, we, I think we need a men's group uh, of FDN, <laughs> you know, uh, folks. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, my awareness became in my late thirties because of in a word burnout, um, you know, mentioned all the things of my personal life. I was doing all of those um, good things, not, not wisely uh, during my thirties and basically blew up and uh, my hormones were a mess, went into depression for about two years um, at the end of my thirties, early forties. And really the root cause to that was, um, not accounting for what I call my total life load of all the things in my life. You know, my career was taking off at the beginning of my thirties. Um, my, my family was growing. We had three kids in three years. And then, you know, of course I had the wise idea of getting back into running and I didn't do five Ks. I had to go do marathons and, you know, triathlons. So I couldn't go, uh, you know, just the simple route. Um, and I, and in, during that time frame, I was basically not getting sleep, you know, four or five hours of broken sleep for nearly a decade. Uh, and it showed up and, you know, I just wasn't, you know, being wise with all the things and really accounting for the total life load of the stress and lack of sleep. Um, and so I think my testosterone was like 200, 225 mm -hmm. at that time. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, I was a quote unquote athlete, um, granted an everyday athlete and it just went sideways and, and, uh, learned about health for my wife. You know, she was doing some things for our kids because of the food allergies that they were dealing with and started getting into more of the holistic health. Um, discovered an MD that did a lot of that, some muscle testing, and she helped me get on a path over the next few years into that. Well, let's be honest. And, and I don't know your personal story, so maybe it was uh, something you were very open to. You are aware at this point then that you have these problems, you know what's going on, but now you got to have to make this transition into more natural things, especially muscle testing that can, I'm not condemning that by the way, I actually do sure. believe in that, but for many people, yeah. that's, that's a stretch. You know, that's a huge paradigm shift to do something Absolutely. like that coming from Western medicine. So was there any resistance on your end in the beginning trying to transition to natural? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, um, you're reading different things, especially start reading herbs and, and, you know, the stereotypical things when it comes to holistic or natural and, 
you know, some uh, limiting mindset on my side, probably on, on what it can or cannot do. And, and I think ultimately what we now as FDN's face is that cultural shift of the sick care model um, and, and normalizing uh, feeling mediocre, right? And that, oh, it's just normal, right? And were there valid things like I had kids and didn't sleep? Sure. Um, but it's not normal, uh, however normalized it's become. Uh, and getting into the natural, it was definitely different. And uh, I didn't go kip- kicking and screaming, but I also wasn't driving the bus. My wife was kind of the big driver on, on a lot of that initially. So, um, and eventually I woke up and realized, you know what, she's pretty smart. Uh, so I, I should probably listen. It, it is fascinating how, I mean, I don't like stereotypes, but this one works very well in the world of functional medicine. We, I, I feel like us guys are a little more reluctant to these types of things. And women just seem to have this really, uh, wonderful, beautiful, intuitive healing side. They kind of just get this stuff a lot yeah. easier uh, than us. I can't tell you how many people, Scott, I've interviewed on this podcast. I always say the number is 95%. It's probably higher. But the amount of people that I've interviewed on this podcast, which largely has been women, that say the reason they got into the natural side of things is I just knew it was a gut feeling. It just didn't make sense. Like, so it wasn't something profound that happened. They just kind of knew instinctually something's not adding up here. They finally had their final straw, and then they're willing to go try some different things. So, uh, by the way, for those that don't know, um, and I don't, I'm assuming you know the ranges offhand. I actually don't myself. I, I wanted to test this recently. So yeah. you said I think your testosterone was about 200 to 225. What would be yeah. a good range for a male at that age? <clears throat> uh, definitely not that. I would say at least double. Um, you know, 500 or so 600 it would be my guess i know the range from a medical model is what like 200 to 1100 or something crazy uh from a range perspective um and yeah i would say anything over five would be much healthier um obviously it depends on the person but yeah that yeah, just yeah just know if you're low on western medicine range that's usually not a great sign yeah in range on. is not healthy Okay. So you have this paradigm shift. You're becoming very open to the natural side of things. You did mention some specific things, but I'm always curious, what do you think were the first or what was the first thing that really got the needle moving for you in terms of you could see, wow, I'm starting to feel better. This is getting me results. Was it a dietary thing or my gosh, fixing that damn sleep you had going on? Yeah, it was the sleep. It was really the sleep. That's what was uh, a key driver that I focused on for an extended period of time um, was really dialing that in and, and understanding some, some of the simplicity and how well that works. Um, and, and it doesn't have to be a pill or, or some fancy thing. I mean, I think sleep is just, you know, bookending your day and having some, you know, focused attention to it. Um, there were some habit changes that I probably was, um, forget the term, but I was basically justifying staying up late because I earned it right Hmm. somehow. Right. And, and justified the Netflix binge or whatever that compounded, you know, the, the, the negative spiral. Uh, but yeah, sleep was definitely a huge one in realizing, realizing the cascade effect that that has um, on your health and everything from hormones to, you know, physical recovery to whatever mental state, especially. Um, and so I think, you know, that's where I started to dive into it, started to do some research on that, um, discovered, some different people, you know, the benefit of, of doing things like this is the, the social webs yeah. um, and just doing some, some self-education and awareness uh, really was a key driver. Gotcha. So before we get into FDN, I'm, I'm actually curious about one thing because I always like to know what was going through people's heads at the time. I think that's very relatable to the people that might be listening right now that are yeah. actively struggling. <laughs> so you mentioned for almost a decade, you're doing this four to five hours um, of sleep per night on average. And you almost viewed it as, hey, I'm rewarding myself from things that I did during the day. So did you have any idea at the time that this wasn't okay to be doing? Because some people don't get this. Like uh, many individuals are looking at four or five hours of sleep and they're just thinking, okay, as long as I can wake up and operate the next day, I'm fine. And obviously the body's resilient. It can last for some period of time, but not forever. So did you even register this as like something that was not going to work out permanently? (laughs) No, no, uh, definitely not at the time. And like you said, the famous words, I'm fine. Um, you know, and, and just because I was functioning doesn't mean I was functional, uh, at all. Like, you know, I mean, 
I look back and, you know, for a while it was, a, it was a joke and it's really not funny now. It's actually pretty, pretty sad. Is like, I don't, I don't remember my thirties. Like there's literally gaps in my memory. Like we're sitting, having family conversations with my wife about things we did with our kids. And I don't, they're telling me and I'm literally acting like I was not even in the universe. And it's just, it's heartbreaking now to, to know, like, cause there's only so much time we have with our kids. And, um, you know, I've got three daughters and, and it, it, it's just an omission that I can't reclaim. And, you know, uh, there's a m- number of reasons why I was doing those things at the time. Uh, right. right. And I think the psychology mental aspect of it and some other things probably, but, um, trying to reclaim past glories, maybe in my youth or something. Well, it's actually really, I've never, I don't recall anyone else ever actually describing it like that, um, that I've interviewed, but I had a, a similar thing. Now I always attributed it to being when I was younger in high school, I had these mental health issues. I was abusing drugs as a result. And I always associated the lack of memory with that kind of stuff. But, you know, looking back, I don't know if it was that straightforward because basically from 15 to 18 is this huge blur. And I wasn't yep. necessarily using drugs yet at 15. That started later um, in my life. And then that's when, you know, things got really bad. But I think, yeah, with that lack of sleep and the, the constant stress, I mean, maybe your your mind represses some of it or you just can't form these good memories because we do know that part of like REM sleep, for example, is forming memories from the day. It's processing things. So, right. my gosh, yeah. if someone's never sleeping, that actually kind of makes a lot of sense that certain memories wouldn't stick. And you're, you're right. It's not funny because you I loved that last little bit of your bio. I don't know if people caught that, but you talked about this one life uh, to live. That's something I'm really big on. You don't want to be not remembering uh, multiple years or a freaking decade of your yeah. life when it's already incredibly short. So um, I love the passion for that. And I, I definitely get that moving into the FDN thing. Then we've already specified. It's one thing for us guys to get into this and be open to this. And in this case, listen to the wife and say, okay, I, I need to do some of this. It's a whole nother thing to say, I'm going to go and actually make this a career. I'm going to get the certification. I'm going to start a podcast. What made you want to do FDN? How did you even find this? Uh, you know, it started with the podcast. So I realized with the sleep piece, so many people I was having, I became aware, right? It's like you, you see that red car driving the street and all of a sudden you see red cars everywhere. And so suddenly I was like, I'm hearing in the conversations, um, the normalization of sleep deprivation, basically. And, and you know, also the the, the warrior badges of staying up late for the Netflix binges and I'm just hearing it more and more and then correlating how people felt. And I'm like, I got to dig into this more. And then I was like, I'm going to start a podcast. Even if it's just like me learning, I'll start talking and just having conversations because I'm, I'm smart enough to be curious, but maybe not the most brilliant guy, but you know, I was just curious person and then just kept investigating and and decided I'm going to record these conversations and realized so many people, are just friendly and want to have conversation too to advocate health. And then uh, Biohacking Congress, I know uh, FDN is a pretty uh, big partner with, with them. I, I discovered that through some of the folks I interviewed, went to one as a media partner, I uh, actually saw Reed speak, uh, I think it was October of 21. And then uh, we did a couple more events and then it was Boston where actually you and I uh, crossed paths um, at that point I was well another year or so into really digging into this, looked at other certifications that had, uh, you know, the, the functional health space. And when I learned more about FDN further and had conversations with you and, and uh, Kimberly Bohm, yep. who was there, uh, and she spoke, uh, and did a panel with her there. So anyway, just, I just realized what FDN was. And, and t- the key differentiator for me was that medical director program. Um, and it didn't feel like just habit structures, which is critical, right? It's really foundational, that lifestyle, right? We have the dress protocol, but it was more really having that competence and understanding the lab work and not just what it says, but how to apply that to, the, to life. And then having that reach back on the medical director program, I think was really for me, the, the pivot. And I was like, it was kind of rash. It was like, all right, I'm doing this now. Yeah. Cause it didn't even cross my mind the first year or so, even though I was looking at these certifications, I was like, I'm doing this and signed up within, I think two weeks of doing it. I think this is the classic like sales DNA, right? 
uh, logical yet kind of impulsive. I totally get this because, (laughs) you know, it was it was the labs, too, that resonated with me because and listen, I think both of us would acknowledge that the habit change and mindset aspects are very important. Um, In fact, most people don't realize this. Salespeople are huge on this. Most sales companies are very big on training the mindset stuff. That's like who the motivational speakers are built for um, are these sales teams out there. We're all listening to tapes and reading books. But there's a certain time where we are kind of logic oriented and we're trying to get some objective data. We're always tracking numbers. And I think the labs, that's what appealed to me. I said, okay, I can stop just playing this subjective game of, I think I'm feeling better. I think I'm doing okay. I think my skin's a little clearer to, all right, I did this and the numbers either got dramatically better, maybe a little bit better. So it's not anything huge or it got worse. Mm -hmm. I can start tracking this and make a science out of my own body. Uh, And that's what we actually understand the biohacking Congress is that we're the we're the biohack that's the science of the self. We're using the labs to figure out what's going on um, with us. So that, that's amazing. I didn't realize that you were at the October 21. Though. That would make sense because Reed did speak there. I was there uh, and Raywin, his wife, was there. So oh, that was really? the first biohacking Congress I got to go to. It was really special. It was fun. Um, yeah. A few hundred people running around there and definitely, um, definitely a fun, nerdy group for sure. <laughs> so I just... I guess I realized while you were saying this or remembered, I'm, I'm not sure, but that the podcast actually preceded uh, even the FDN certification. So I guess once you got into this in terms of realizing what it could do for you, you seem to have uh, very rapidly developed somewhat of a passion for this in terms of sharing this information with others and continuing learning about it, it seems, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like it was like the more more I learned, the I just kept peeling back the onion um, and just pursuing it and learning about i didn't know what biohacking was and so that I got curious about that um you know I, I i probably got a little ahead of myself too and was trying too many things too soon but i mean that's part of you know you get bought into something and you just jump right in and uh i i think probably up to that point i was probably an over consumer of supplements anyway but now i know how to be a little more prescriptive about or, or wiser about the utilization but yeah i just i, I just got really enthralled with it enjoyed the conversation and every conversation i was learning something new um about the body and how it functions and just honestly just the wonder of it um uh, of just how complex um but at the same time straightforward i think you know that the body is um and just uh amazed that you know how one thing can cascade into a myriad of things, right? It's not just the one thing and in, in that, you know, throw a pill at this thing and everything will be fine. You know, that symptomatic model, it was really understanding the why and, and really digging into it. And then again, to the attenuating my ear to hear things. Uh, and, and I think I've heard this in other FDN conversations of, you know, suddenly you're diagnosing people in every conversation, <laughs> yeah. not diagnosing, but we don't diagnose, but you know what I mean? Like, just like, Oh, that could be an issue. That's probably what's going on. And, and, uh, yeah. yeah, it's bittersweet. You brought up that, uh, comparison of, you know, you want to buy a red car and you see the red car everywhere. <laughs> I think many people actually have probably heard of this, but I, I learned this from a motivational speaker, Tony Robbins years ago, he talked about it. That's the reticular activating system, the RAS. And so when you, it's really big for goal setting. That's why they say like set your goal on a specific amount of money or a specific outcome because then you'll start seeing these things. And Mm -hmm. to me, that's very practical. I think that actually is very real. It's not just woo-woo. It's like, okay, if I wanted to make whatever, $100,000 a year and I set that goal, I'm going to start seeing things that are going to lead me to that opportunity. But similarly, the reason it's bittersweet is because you can do that with very positive goals. But the second that you realize some of this, the sickness or you experience it yourself, you start to see it everywhere. You're like, oh, it's amazing to me when I talk to certain family members or friends that otherwise respect what I do. They're not being rude, but they're like, do you really think this is that big of an issue? I'm like, that big of an issue. I'm like, I see this. I see it in you. Like they don't even, they haven't caught it yet in themselves. Yeah. Um, so we're just, we're trying to fight out here on the front lines and help people out. When you were going through the FDN curriculum, one of the things that we include in the cost of tuition is lab tests to run on yourself or our lab tests to run on yourself. Now, you were already doing a lot of research. You seem like a very big doer. Like you're like, hey, I'm going to do what I have to do. So you probably already felt a lot better by then. But I'm curious, what showed up on the labs for you that was maybe notable uh, things to still work on even when you're going through the course? Yeah. And up to that point, I was doing kind of not traditional, a little broader scope and biomarkers with blood work, but 
n- never did the stress and hormone po- profile or and the other labs, uh, the mucosal barrier. And I think the big one was, and, and it's interesting, you know, the snapshot in time for the SHP was my cortisol was completely tanked. Um, which when I think back at first, I wasn't accounting for it, but I was in the midst of a very stressful time. I was training for a half marathon and then I was involved in a, uh, a, call it a private matter, but it was like in intense that I was driving this resolution and I realized how like I was stressed. It was personal and professional. And so it was really, really intense. And I think it showed up in the lab for that. And then, uh, I was surprised on kind of the, the result on the, the GI map and the mucosal. I thought I've had stomach issues in the past, uh, probably related back to, you know, the overtraining and under recovered stuff. But, um, you know, I think that was another one that was a bit of a shocker currently that I thought had more or less resolved, you know, or, or improved considerably, um, that, um, you know, it just reawakened me to that. And I was like, Oh, maybe I am thinking backwards again is like, okay, maybe, yeah, there are some like indicator lights happening that I was kind of ignoring, even though I'm, I'm bought in and, and aware, you know, you, you kind of help justify things and, or rationalize at times. Yeah. I, I mean, I love all the labs, obviously we all do, but the SHP, the stress and hormones profile in particular is very useful because I think for those of us that require that objective data to really make huge changes in our lives, when I saw that too, and I saw that my stuff was tanked, it was like, wow, you realize the weight of the situation. And you used a phrase in the beginning of this episode uh, you said life load. I love that. I always, because I always say stress. I don't know if I've ever heard someone say it as life load. I think that's more relatable for the average person because the average person, I almost, and just like we had to be taught, I almost have to teach them that stress can be, yes, it can be bills, but it can also be exercise. It can mm-hmm. also be staying up late. And, you know, they don't register stress like that. They register stress as, I'm late on bills or I'm fighting with a family member. It's only yeah. a few things. When you word it as life load, I think that's a lot more relatable in the sense of, okay, look at what you're doing, Mr. And Mrs. So-and-so. You wake up at six, you're at the gym by seven, you're there for a couple hours, you're working a nine to five, you got the kids when you come home, you stay up late on TV, and then you do it all over again. And then you drink <laughs> on the weekends. Well, if, if someone called that, would you have a high life load? I think most of us would say yes, but that's how the majority of people are, are living to some degree. Yeah. So uh, kind of crazy to think about. What are you doing now? Um, because I only actually have a basic understanding of this. Are you practicing as an FDN? Is it just the podcast? Do you take clients? I, I'd love to learn more about that. Yeah, I mean, uh, recent graduate. So I'm I'm in the process of onboarding clients. I've, I, I do have a, a couple that we're just starting to ship out lab work nice. um, and, and, and work with them. I've had conversations with folks and some, you know, coaching uh, but nothing with the labs just yet other than myself. Uh, but that's in process at the moment. Cool. I keep forgetting the timeline here. Yeah. Obviously <laughs> recent graduate, we're talking about, uh, just kind of meeting you in person. At least I think that would have been then just last year or the year, but yeah, no, that yeah, was just last, last year. year that the June biohacking Congress happened. So, yep. um, that's crazy. Good news is you have the kind of sales and business background. So that's normally the hardest part for people to learn. They can learn the health stuff all day. If you combine that, it's easy. There's no shortage of people who need this. So um, it'll be exciting to see what does a year from now look like for you. Is there yeah. a specific demographic or niche that you're focusing on? I know many of us guys will sometimes focus on working with other men. I didn't know if that's the case for you. Like, what are you passionate about helping? Yeah, that is my intent. I mean, I'm not going to say no to people. Uh, <laughs> yep. and, and, you know, especially, you know, back to the beginning, my wife is probably the biggest advocate. And so, I mean, there's her girlfriends and we've had conversations and friends, um, but largely men 30 to 60, uh, you know, my demographic uh, to help prevent folks from doing what I did in my thirties. And now I'm, I'm not in my thirties. So there's different requirements and needs uh, to, to live a long, healthy life. Um, And so, yeah, men, and then um, niching down further, you know, as an, you know, an everyday athlete fo- focused on, you know, the, the health of, of athletes working with some, uh, having some conversations with collegiate and professional athletes, as well as executive programs. Um, awesome. 
I think this is going to be, yeah, I'm definitely excited. I know we're getting a little bit ahead, but I'd, I'd love to review this in six months to a year and see where you're at. Because yeah. what's cool about you is I can obviously tell you're super into this and a smart guy, but there's there's something I've noticed that obviously we, we already acknowledge men are sometimes reluctant to this. And I think it's because yeah. they don't relate to it. Well, what's cool about you is good looking dude, healthy looking, and you don't come across as nerdy as you probably are in the back of your head. <laughs> I have my moments, well, I can you. kind of fake it sometimes. And then I start talking too much. I'm like, oh crap, I got to shut up. And I, I think where this is really useful is a lot of men, uh, they're going to relate to someone like you more, right? This, okay, sales leader guy, athlete, cool. I'll, I'll actually learn from him. And it opens up a conversation that sometimes is very hard to have. And yeah. unfortunately, a lot of men, their first symptom that they ever take care of is a major diagnosis or a heart attack or something happens at work. It's like, that should not be the first symptom that men are getting help for. This needs to start much earlier and then we could have a lot better lives. Um, and and yeah. same with women, right? There's plenty of women out there that do the same thing. It's they'll push until they get that diagnosis. It's like, holy crap, guys, there was stuff going on for years. There's a decade of half the time a, pu a human should be sleeping before yeah. things really got out of hand for you, right? <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah, I mean, for, I, you know, the drivers are different for men and women, but at the underlying issues, similar, um, you know, seeing my wife and, and friends and, you know, you got moms who are, are, you know, mom's taxi and running all over and, you know, maybe have careers as well. And so that intense thing. And then for the men, yeah, we are definitely um, reluctant to speak up. You know, we somehow have uh, validated the lone wolf mentality. And uh, I've got this and, and you probably do, but you do need support and collaboration and partnership and an ability to, you know, figure out when, um, you know, things are not going well and, and having the skill to understand or somebody to talk to, um, to address the indicator lights. You know, I think it started out the conversation of I just a lacked awareness, right? I didn't see the red car. Um, so putting together what I call the science and the subjective of the lab work and then how I feel and trying to understand, you know, how I feel and what those things are and what's driving those things, right? Eating something and feeling bloated an hour later is not normal, but we've normalized it, right? Or whatever, fill in the blank, uh, or that always on, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, like you said, a doer, like, I, you know, wind me up and point in a direction and I'll go, um, <laughs> And, and I think many men are like that, right? It's just the get or done mentality. And uh, I'm not shunning the get or done or, you know, the, there's other phrases that probably won't bear repeating, but you know, just get or done mentality. But you have to account for the rest and all that, right? And, you know, mention the podcast and not you need hashtags, but respect the rest. And I think that to me is a cultural issue that we have everywhere of that we've culturally ignored rest and culturally accepted the 2 a.m. as a must every single day in order to achieve success. And it's not, it's just, I think it's, I think it's not. And then, then you throw in all the other stuff like caffeinate over caffeinated and blah, blah, blah. So. Right. It's really well said. And the causes of this are, are multifaceted, right? Yeah. Because on one end, you have a very practical thing of just, speaking for society at, at one point, maybe 50 years ago, one income, 40 hours a week could have provided for a family. And generally speaking, that's hard for a lot of people to do now. So you have the very practical side of working, 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 not resting because some people yeah. have to. And then th there's sometimes others where I've been on both ends of this, right? I've been in that uh, too, especially in the early twenties. That's exactly what it was, but there's a time now where, you know, things are going well and I still find myself in that same thing. So I think it's okay to want to be a guy and go achieve things and do this stuff. Absolutely. But we also do have to sit there and ask the question sometime, like, when does this, when does this end? When does this become realistic? Is this sustainable over a long period of time? And we have a, a woman named Jen Maleka who is an FDN. She's actually the one who got me into FDN. She's been doing it for 10 years and she's very driven, very focused, always been that way. And what she inspires me and, and I try to my best to apply it to my own life. I'm still working on it, but I, I always hear like kind of these statements from her. So what she does is obviously the hours in the day are very limited. Even mm -hmm. if you didn't sleep at all, which is impossible, you still only have 24 hours. So what she realized, but she's an extremely successful businesswoman is 
okay, I can only add so much more in terms of hours, but mm. I can make myself better and get a lot more efficient. I can learn more. I can learn to delegate certain things. And so she's extremely good at focusing on her zone of genius. And I don't know if she follows this 100% strict 100% of the time, but her claim at least is I'm not working more than 40 hours a week and I'm doing three two-week vacations a year. And yeah. you're like, well, how the hell do you do this? Then how do you make uh, more money? I'm going to get better in those 40 hours and act like that's my 24 hours, right? Because yeah. that, that's what's amazing too. That's We all kind of do that, especially as guys. I saw this, um, and I love him to death. We've talked about this. My dad did the same thing. We'll just keep pushing the hours until there's no more, and then we forget that we can become more efficient. Well, if you were <laughs> going to become more efficient at the 16-hour mark, just do it at the 12. I mean, still, get at least four hours of rest, right? Do it at the 10 or the 8. Yeah. You, you can always get more efficient and uh, make those hours that you are doing very useful. So uh, we don't need to spend more time on that per se, but I just, I think that's a really powerful thing. And I, I say it half the time, just as a reminder to myself that I, I can only add so many hours, but I can get pretty much unlimited uh, in terms of more efficiency and knowledge, at least while I'm here, I can keep learning, reading, studying, and those things can get better. So you can make all the money, you can still hit the goals, you can have fun. And you can have a life and have health that sustains you for a long period of time because, yeah, man, what a nasty thing it must be to grind for 40, 50 years straight and you get to the finish line and there's no health left to enjoy yeah. all the things that you built. Yeah. And you hear it a lot when people retire, um, you know, not to get morbid, but like, you know, they retire and within a few years, um, unfortunately, pass away. And there's a variety of reasons for that. But I, I think going back to the, your point on like there's there's a lot of contributing factors to to burn out and, and your underlying why. And it's just really taking a step back and then having that healthy boundary to turn it off. Um, the beauty of technology is you have, oh, it's always on the, the terrible thing about technology. Is it's always on. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. We have to be the ones consciously to say, okay, enough's enough. I'm right. not doing this right now because I can always like, access it. And I think that's sure. really the core of all the issues. You can access work 24 seven. Now you can access the TV, whatever we were made that you can only access stuff. Uh, roughly, you know, depending on where you live, maybe eight hours to 16 hours a day based on the light, right? And then right. you have to go to bed. You got to chill out, but we don't yeah. have that luxury anymore. With all that said, I want to shout out your podcast and talk about some of the things that you love nerding out on there and what people can expect. And I always shout out podcasts on our podcast because the way I look at it is this is a modern form of TV. And the reason I compare it to that is because you don't just watch one TV station or one show. You probably right. have a lot of things you like. So I, I love for other people to explore other podcasts and listen. So uh, yours is called the Rest and Recovery Podcast, correct right. me if I'm wrong. And yep. what can they expect to hear on there? What are some of the topics you go over? Uh, yeah, I would say four foundational elements that correlate to rest and recovery, which is sleep, nutrition, mindset, and fitness. And uh, four to have a lot of experts in all those domains to speak to, you know, how to live this one life well. That's the ultimate mission and how to equip people with the awareness, the skill to be able to rest well and apply it to their lives, whatever, you know, is most applicable. And so I think, you know, using that tool of the podcast to, to be able to listen and hear experts and how they explain it in their life um, and then how you can use it. Cool. We have been trying to shift the podcast a little bit in a positive way because what we've realized after all these episodes is, and, and I think this is a, an evolution of the space, like just the functional mm -hmm. medicine space in general. You know, I think we're, we're keeping more people, we're adding people at not uh, a significant rate. Honestly, I think there's like a small percentage of the population that's really into this. I know people are coming in left and right. Yes, it seems like that. But if you go out and walk on the street, you talk to 95% of people, they can't even define functional medicine, yep. let alone tell you what people like us do. So it's still very limited. Yeah. Um, all of that to say, I think the people that are here, they're here to stay and they're wanting more nerdy topics. They're wanting to dive a little deeper into stuff. And so for our last bit of time here, maybe roughly you know, 10 minutes or so, one of the things clearly that you're focused on is this rest and recovery aspect. Obviously that's the name of the podcast. And we can start with the super fundamental stuff. If you're not even trying to go to bed at nine or 10 o'clock, well, you're already shooting yourself in the foot. If you're waking up to an alarm three hours before you should, Again, you're shooting yourself in the foot. Those are things that you got to work on no matter what. There is no FDN coach out there that can fix that for you. You got to get that down. However, 
there are many people, including myself at one point, that are trying to do the best that they can with the sleep. They're like, I'm going to bed on time and I still wake up and I don't feel good. So yeah. as you are starting to work with people more and more, I'm sure you're going to be doing the FDN foundational stuff. That's fantastic. Yeah. But what are some of the the more advanced things maybe you've learned in terms of rest and recovery that the average person just might not have ever heard of. Um, and they can walk away with today and not just say, all right, I need to get eight hours. I get that, but maybe some hacks or something that can help them along the way. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's a spectrum of, of options out there from zero cost to uh, pretty expensive. Um, you know, I think some of the simple ones that people overlook because it just seems remedial, but it's, it's so important is light. Um, you know, I, I say bookend your day, but when it comes to habits or dealing with the sun and people don't realize how important, uh, morning sunlight and evening sunlight and how that triggers your whole body and how the intelligent or innate, you know, design that we have, uh, you know, I'm a Christian, so I believe we're designed by God, uh, and a pretty smart guy, I would think who set this up and like, mm -hmm. It giving us nature to work with our body in our circadian rhythm um, and, and how important that and things like grounding uh, are to help with our nervous system when it comes to um, just getting us regulated properly so we can have that rhythm throughout the day to be effective, like we were talking about, more effective throughout, throughout the day. And then when it's time, more effective at powering down and, and going to sleep. You mentioned about around the middle of the show about some things are actually very straightforward, despite how complex they can get. And it is hilarious, right? The, yeah. the straightforward part of this is get outside in the morning, get outside at night. Okay. There's, you don't need to read anything. You don't need to do anything else. Just do those things. It's as natural as can be. Um, and it will, will work out for you. In fact, the morning light routine was the only thing ever that fixed the sleep cycle for me. I always had issues really? with sleeping, uh, even eating well, doing all the supplements. It was a pain in the butt for me trying to fix that and after about a month of doing it i was good to go i could yeah. effortlessly go to bed at 10 wake up at six and i've never looked back since for those and i know that we could give a whole podcast on this easily but for those that might be either newer to the whole light thing especially the morning light or maybe they've heard it but it almost seems too simple they're like no way this can be that big of a deal you just yeah. mentioned this is one of the most important things to you and i i would second that i always talk about this so what's the science behind like why do we have to get out in the morning um even if we have busy lives we got the kids we got work why do we have to prioritize that yeah i mean the the priority to that is is important just to kind kind of realize uh circadian health is kind of a growing discussion point that i've been reading on and realizing how the eyes are the windows to our soul and how our entire body has a circadian clock and each thing relies on that and the importance of the light as being that that trigger point right and getting out in into the light and getting the body to start functioning as it ought to like it it has that innate intelligence to operate in a certain way and our modern lifestyle gets it out of whack and that's a good way to kind of reset or reclaim um our rhythms uh yeah. and get the body in it you know i've got a client before i had the fdn who was doing some sleep coaching and that was one of the things that helped him as well he had terrible insomnia and every morning would go and do that and it, it worked significantly for him uh and really helping his health health overall nice i actually i say the same thing to clients because Many of them, their sleep's not great. Certainly, they're not ready to wake up at sunrise, especially if it's in the summer. They're like, dude, that's like 540. Do you understand that? And I'm like, yes, I do. I always say, have you ever woken up to an alarm you didn't want to wake up to before? They're like, oh, yeah, I pretty much do that every day anyway. I say, perfect. So what we're going to do is we're going to set that alarm for right around sunrise, like five minutes before. You get out, just go out for 20, 30 minutes. It's all I'm asking. No glasses, no sunglasses. And then you can come back in and sleep. I don't care. And I actually, yeah. this is something I just came up with, with that whole going back to sleep part, because I figured it wouldn't matter long-term. And I've seen a hundred percent success rate with this uh, within a month. So it does take up to 30 days for some, but when these people do this, even if they come back in after the 30 minutes and need to sleep, really, it's just a nap at that point. What happens is their circadian rhythm starts becoming entrained with the light. And then all of a sudden, almost universally, they kind of have this day roughly two weeks in where they're like, Hey man, I, I woke up without the alarm today and I didn't need the nap and I went That's to right. bed on time. And it's just, the body was made for this guys. So when exactly. you give it a chance to do that, that's just how it works. It's like when yep. we eat real food and we feel fantastic, that's not something 
so profound. We're just doing what we were supposed to be doing and feeling how we were supposed to feel. So do you do, are, are you blocking the blue light at night? Are you fully into this yeah. then? Okay. Yeah, I was just going to go there. You know, some relatively inexpensive ways to do, to help with that is, you know, the overdosing of blue light is what I call it. We're staring at these screens, our phones, computers all day, and it's constantly triggering our brains to think it's noon. And that's the negative about it is that it's, it, you know, just like we're saying the morning sun sets it, we're kind of doing this morning sun perpetually with this overdosing of blue light and not having those other spectrums of light throughout the day. And so a good way to mitigate that is either blue blocking glasses. Um, there's a company called Wave Blocker. Um, oh, no, sorry, that was for EMF. But um, uh, I just is what I use. It's screen protectors and you can put it on your device. So I got both. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I recommend it to a lot of people just because it's a simple passive way. It's inexpensive and it just, it's just that to me, pennies add up to dollars, right? So over time you do the couple little things that are relatively inexpensive and that is going to compound over time positively for you. It's a shame that not really in our space, I think most people are open to it, but the general public, some of this stuff can oftentimes look so extreme, not so much the yeah. sunrise thing, but the second I start talking about blue light blocking glasses, this is still weird. And, you know, I first learned about this six years <laughs> ago when I was just applying anything I learned at the time. And then there's people that were on it way before that. It's it's a shame that it sounds extreme because when you look at it, it's like this is as natural as possible. Not wearing the glasses, but blocking certain parts of the light spectrum at night. That's why yeah. we call it night. It's yeah. dark. <laughs> you know, there's no more light. And we yeah. invent this stuff. I, I, my favorite quote by Dr. Jack Cruz is that human beings are the only animals smart enough to invent artificial light and dumb enough to live under it. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like, it is amazing. What a what a interesting thing to be smart enough to do this. And then we're like, oh, let's live under it 24 seven. Yep. It's like, wow, like digging our own grave. <laughs> yeah. And to piggyback off that, like the culture thing and talking glasses, the other side of that, and I think Dr. Jack talks about it is stop wearing sunglasses. And people, you, you say that and people are like, what are you talking about? It's just like you wear sunglasses to block the sun. Well, no, if you don't wear sunglasses, your eyes adapt. So when you're wearing the sunglasses, you're creating I'll call it a deficiency. Maybe that's not the right term for your eyes to adjust to the natural light and to work with, you know, the natural order of, of the circadian rhythm or the, the day of the sun, day to night for the sun. Yes. I, that one, that one even meets resistance in the functional space. Again, those yeah. people are normally open to the blue blockers. Even if they don't do it, they're like, okay, I, I respect you. I get it. I would do anything for my health too if I felt that I needed it. The sunglass one, people can't get over the whole style or whatever. But <laughs> it was it was hilarious because six years ago, I went, I ditched the sunglasses and I put on blue blockers. So it's, it's very interesting, especially when you're in your family that might not be, I was living with my parents at the time. I was like 21. And it just looked so odd that like, wait a second. So you take off your glasses during the day now and you put them on at night and obviously they're not sunglasses, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yeah. And the answer was yes. And so people don't realize, I mean, we're talking about the increased rates of skin cancers and burning and all this stuff. <laughs> people aren't told that one of the ways your body picks up the signal to create melanin to protect you from the sun and exactly. you through your eyes. Yep. And so it, it's, it's fascinating when you realize how powerful that is. So, uh, the other thing, too, is I hear all these people complain about, well, my eyes are so sensitive. The first thing I say with that, I'm like, if your eyes are sensitive enough that you're bothered outside, how did you think you were going to make it through life? Like, if we just never invented sunglasses, how did your ancestors make it here? Do you not think that there's something wrong with that? Yeah, that, that should be the indicator light on the dashboard saying something is off. Yes, uh, I, I have also found people rejoice in this, I think, 100% success rate with that sensitivity eventually going away. And so if you guys are interested in that, what you start with is exactly what Scott recommended. You start with the morning light, right? Tell your body what time it is. Let those eyes get adjusted. You finish with the sunset. You get outside as much as you can. Expose yourself to actual light. I'm not saying cause yourself pain. Don't be stupid. But right. you want to progressively work towards not needing these sunglasses. And I just... I know what people mean when they say the sensitivity thing because that would have happened mm -hmm. to me years ago. But it's been so long now. I just can't even... It's amazing to me when I'm standing outside with someone that is actually complaining because of how bright it is. I'm like, dude, I'm not thinking about this at all. It doesn't, it wouldn't even register. And I can't help but but think that, that I'm not only this arrogant, but I, I'd have to think we're the correct ones here because 
we weren't born with a pair of sunglasses uh, when we came out of our mothers. So right. I'm going to guess that maybe we weren't naturally supposed to have those and we should be able to see outdoors. Radical idea, I, I know, but to me, that just kind of makes sense. So I appreciate you nerding out with me on that. I, I'm sure we could talk about light forever. It's cool yeah. to me always when someone brings that up as the first thing, when I talk about like what's something really important to you, uh, because it is for me. It was a game changer my health would not be the same without it. And I've taken it. This really is extreme. The thing that I did that I'm actually most proud of uh, with the light stuff in the same way is in the beginning of the pandemic, I camped for 60 days and I wasn't living outside all day. You know, I went in and worked, but like, even when I worked, I had the computer set up at the window. I wanted to know how good can I feel when I am outside all the time. And there were seven nights that I missed due to lightning storms. I figured not a great experiment if I die. Um, but, you know, there's 53 days that I actually got to do that. At first, it was a little uncomfortable, right? But your body getting used to this. I'd never camped before. I went from no camping to camping for 60 days straight. And so it was weird. And then once I adjusted, the biggest thing that was crazy to me, I needed about maybe two hours less sleep outside than I did inside. And I felt better. And I think that was just yeah. because of the light, right? Because it grants you, it was summer. So I'm sure this wouldn't always be the case, but it wasn't really dark until like 940 here. And yeah. the first light's coming up at like 450. So I'm only getting this like six, six and a half hours of sleep where normally I would need eight, eight and a half. I felt fantastic. I'm more recovered. I looked yeah. better even than now. I just, I did. I looked healthier. I was like, wow. And this is what we were supposed to do naturally. And I did yeah. it for 60 days and I feel the best I ever have in my 20 something years on this earth. <laughs> That's an awesome, awesome testimony. It'd be interesting if you had wearable data to like see your, the, the different splits on sleep with RAM and deep sleep and yeah. how much, how quality that was. It probably was high if you were waking up rested, um, the quality of sleep. Well, and listen, Scott, I always talk about my highs and lows. So I'm thankfully doing very well right now. Everything worked out, but the funniest part is I ran labs before um, I did the experiment. I never ended up running the same labs afterwards because I was just broke during the pandemic. Like I was, I was speaking at schools for a nonprofit beforehand. I went from like, all right, this is going well to wow, this sucks. And so failed experiment in that sense, but subjectively and anecdotally, it went pretty well. So maybe we'll give it another try if my yeah. parents are willing to have me move back again to go camp in their backyard. <laughs> that, that was an interesting one to explain to my dad. He's like, yeah, you're allowed to move back, but but why exactly? To, to sleep in our backyard? That was... That was a foreign concept to him. So yeah, Scott, sure. with that said, obviously you're on the market, you're helping people. Uh, they can now work with you. So where can they find the podcast? Where can they contact you? And then um, obviously if they wanted to work with you, what's the process there? Yeah, the podcast uh, is the Rest from Recovery podcast on all the different channels. Website is uh, Be Rested, Be Well. And then uh, my functional health practice is called Causeway Health, uh, Bridge to a Better You. So that website is causewayhealth.co and uh, you can find me there. Sweet. Scott, thank you so much for coming on. And I mean this seriously, please. Let's, if you remember six months, one year down the line, I think you're probably going to be someone that just takes this and runs with it. I have a very strong feeling about that. So I'd love to okay. see where you're at and how that's working. It's always uh, great to talk to another guy who's doing this because everyone has health issues. So we need more men in the space helping other guys. Absolutely. Well, Evan, I really appreciate the opportunity to be here, man. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I'd love to take you up on that. Thank you.